than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals? It's Superman, Superman, Superman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 85 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I'm going to start the final season of Filmation's The New Adventures of Superman and The Adventures of Superboy. That's right, four episodes to go in my coverage of the Filmation cartoons. And this will encompass all of season three. There are 16 episodes of Superman and eight episodes of Superboy, just like in season two. However, uh, season three was a little bit different for the show. As many of you recall... As you recall, Season 1 was branded The New Adventures of Superman. Season 2 was branded as the Superman-Aquaman Hour of Adventure. However, in Season 3, the show was rebranded yet again. Aquaman and Aqualad were taken out, as were the remainder of the DCU shorts, which included the three Justice League episodes that I talked about last week. And what replaced it was the Batman-Superman Hour which Wikipedia considered a new series. It was broadcast on CBS in 1968 and 1969. The first episode, which I'm going to be talking about this week, appeared on aired on September 14th. As you would guess from the title, in addition to the two episodes of Superman and the one episode of Superboy, there were also three adventures featuring Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. Now, I'm not going to talk about the Batman aspect of this show, just like I didn't talk about the Aquaman and the DC Universe stuff that didn't involve Superman. But I will, it is notable to mention that this series did mark the first Saturday morning vehicle of Batman and his supporting cast and some of their classic enemies. At the time that this show was ordered by CBS, the live-action Batman TV show, which starred Adam West and Burt Ward, was at its ratings peak. And apparently there was some kind of oversight on the part of the live-action show's producers. They secured only the live-action rights to Batman, and Filmation was able to secure the animation rights and to Batman and his stable of characters, and Filmation was able to produce this series for CBS. If you remember, when I talked about Justice League last week, there was a notable absence of Batman, and when I mentioned the uh, other DCU shorts, that Robin was not involved in the Teen Titans cartoon. That was before that Filmation secured the rights to the Batman characters. If only they had produced Justice League and Teen Titans a year later when they had those rights. Now, the Batman-Superman era went into production close to the start of the 1968 season, which required Filmation to pull as many additional animators from other projects as they could to uh, ramp up production. At this point, there was also a Metamorpho, the Element Man series, that had been completed and was ready to air, but it had been shelved when CBS chose to rush Batman and Superman onto the schedule. And this series marked the first time that Olin Soul and Casey Kasem performed the uh, roles of Batman and Robin. Soul and Kasem returned several times to reprise their roles in the new Scooby-Doo movies, Super Friends, which I'm going to be talking about in the next, and the various Super Friends rebrandings, which I'm going to talk about starting in the next segment of the podcast after I'm done with Filmation. And Kasem would eventually go on to voice Batman with Adam West in Superpowers Team Galactic Guardians. 
And then, however, the show was repackaged into 30-minute episodes without the Superman segments and renamed Batman with Robin the Boy Wonder. And that's pretty much all I have to really say about that. You know, like I said, another rebranding. But I am going to cover the Superman and Superboy stories a little bit differently than I have in the previous Filmation episodes. What's notable about the Superman episodes this in this season is that per half hour, there's only one Superman story as opposed to two Superman stories in the previous seasons. So instead of two seven-minute stories, there'll be two seven-minute Superman episodes, but one 14-minute story. So the story's going to get a little bit more room to breathe, and I'm not going to cover them in the sandwich fashion that I did in previous episodes. I'm not going to go Superman, Superboy, Superman like I have in the past. Being that all of these are go- Superman episodes are going to be double-length episodes, I'm going to begin by covering Superman first, and then Superboy. So I'll start with Superman, do those two episodes, and then finish with Superboy. And I'm going to f- use that format all the way through. This would mark the first time that Superman had a mul- had multiple part stories. It, for those of you who remember way back, the first Filmation episode I covered, the initial Superboy episode, the the Spy from Outer Space, was, was a two-parter, and they covered two episodes. But, however, it had aired on different days. So, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to skip feedback for the week, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with... The first episodes of Season 3, Luthor's Lethal Laser, and Forget-Me-Not Superdog. Hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. You know, a lot of people make fun of 1990s comics. The way they tell it, you'd almost think they weren't avidly collecting those same comics themselves. But me? I've got a real soft spot for 90s comics. And so, starting in December of 2017, I'm launching a six-part mega-series called Cover Date. January 1991. The idea is to talk about, well, comics with a January 1991 cover date. Anyway, yeah, that's right. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is going back to January 1991 for a look back at what comics were really like. Is it really as bad as people say? Well, there's only one way to find out. I want you to test drive some 1990s comics along with me. Who knows? You just might find something to fall in love with all over again. So, come back to January 1991 with Trennis Magnus for a fond, festive, frolicking trip down memory lane. The fun starts in December 2017 only at Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. You can find Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at 2TrueFreaks.com or by searching in iTunes. Or, I guess you could search on Google if you're feeling really lazy. Cover date. January 1991. Because 1990s comics are awesome. Oh. 
Alright, welcome back folks. The original broadcast date for these next two stories was September 14th, 1968, and we're going to start with Luthor's Lethal Laser. This is written by Oscar Bensall, and uh, our synopsis was brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Acting on a tip, Lois and Jimmy find a rocket ship in a park. It is Luthor's who kidnaps them and flies them to the moon while having Superman distracted by a munitions fire. On the moon, Luthor aims a laser at Earth's Arctic ice cap. Attention, every nation on Earth. This is Lex Luthor speaking from the moon. I have started melting Earth's polar cap. Your coastal cities will all be flooded unless every nation immediately turns control of the government over to me. You have 12 hours to comply. We've got to stop them, Jimmy. You can't imagine the gravity of this situation. Gravity? Miss Lane, that's it. Gravity on the moon is only one-sixth that of Earth. So? This 600-pound door. Here on the moon, it weighs only 100 pounds. We can lift it. Oh. <laughs> they must have extra spacesuits aboard. Come on, maybe we can alert Superman. Superman reaches the moon just in time to save the escaped Lois and Jimmy from being shot by the laser. Luthor then has Superman pursue him, hoping to trap Superman. Luthor is working with Brainiac and hopes to have Superman be shrunk in the rocket and killed by kryptonite gas. Alright, so I must say I was initially pleased by the first two-part episode of this series. You know, it's nice to see these stories uh, getting a little bit of a room to breathe one of the initial problems with just having a six or seven minute story is that you have to really move from one moment to the next. There's really no time for anything a little more complex than a quick rescue and a quick fight or just, you know, a six minute chase. You can actually tell somewhat of a story now. And this sort and this story starts with Lois getting a phone call about something going on up at the Yellowstone Canyon. Are you sure? Thank you, sir. Hi, McLean. Jimmy. Someone reported a mysterious space rocket in Yellowstone Canyon. You interested? Are you kidding? Let's go! Going to lunch? Uh, no, we're going out to get some pictures. Let's go, Jimmy. Both uh, Lois and Jimmy are dishonest with Clark, who hears that they're leaving, and asks about lunch, you know. And, you know, as per the norm, they don't tell Clark where they're going or what's going on. They don't want him horning in on the story. A common trope from the beginning of uh, Superman days. So Lois and Jimmy get to the canyon, and they are accosted. And here is Lex Luthor wearing a very ugly orange spaceship. This is his rocket, and he's going to use it to control every nation on the world. Whose rocket is this, Miss Lane? I don't know. There's nobody around. Get your hands up! Keepers! Oh! Lex Luthor! Precisely. And Superman Arch-Foe. So you own this rocket, Luthor. <laughs> yes, Miss Lane. And soon I'll own the world. Control every nation on Earth. Sure, until Superman gets into the act, which he'll be doing any second now. Ow! Oh, no. Not this time, young man. Get him into the rocket, Kinky. You know, Luthor and his typical I'm going to take over the world plot when he's not building uh, a million dollar robot to steal $10,000 from a bank. So Jimmy is dumb enough that he's going to uh, announce that he's going to use the signal watch, but Luthor just slaps at it and hurts Jimmy's hand and they are imprisoned as the rocket takes off. And, you know, Beanie the copy boy, he, you know, in the George Reeves series, it was Jimmy Olsen getting all of the uh, 
expositionary dialogue. And good thing for that show that Jack Larson was good at it. But here, uh, Beanie delivers a lot of the exposition. He comes in about an army munitions bucket catching fire. And Clark gets that story. And we finally get a decent shirt rip as Clark started his back to us. And then when he turns around, he has his shirt open, revealing the S underneath. I had mentioned in the opening that Filmation had to pull in other animators from other shows in order to get these shows produced. And you could tell in the artwork, the artwork is different from season one and two. The artwork is a little bit less Wayne Boring, a little more Kurt Swan. So, And it's a little more dynamic than what we saw in the previous seasons, but not by much. But I will say the animation, despite that it's not that much more dynamic, the animation is a marked improvement over what we've seen previously. So here is a spaceship landed on the moon. Superman will fly in several directions this time. He does kind of loops all over the screen, and the previous animations have been terrible, but this is much better. Still not great. The Superman flies in several directions. So now Luthor has his laser pointed at the North Pole so that he can melt the polar caps. And he's going to start global warming, and he's going to take over the world that way, or threaten to destroy it. And it's amazing that people seem to believe in global warming then. Or climate change, as it's more popularly called now. So now Jimmy gets smart, and he gives the kids at home a science lesson about gravity on the moon. For those of you who don't know, gravity is about one-sixth that of Earth's. So the uh, 600-pound door that Blinky told them earlier that they can't get through is now now only weighs about 100 pounds. So apparently it's easier for Jimmy to lift the door up, and out they go into the lunar surface. So Superman looks at the, at the uh, disasters happening and somehow figures out that they're from the North Pole. He spots the beam but ignores it and decides to stop the wave first. Perhaps Superman should have solved the more immediate problem, which was the beam creating the waves. You know, the waves were just a result of the initial beam problem, so some of his priorities there seem a little off. You could save more lives by stopping the beam immediately. So then we got a, here we got a nice look at Lois and Jimmy trying to help. And it's amusing seeing them bounce on the moon, at least until it's time to run. Then it looks like they're in normal gravity. And they did one smart thing, and they distracted Luthor long enough for him to point his laser away from Earth and at them. You know, it didn't solve their problems any, but it kept Luthor's laser from creating any more damage on Earth. So, now out in space, Superman spots Lois and Jimmy on the moon, and now he's punching asteroids because they're in his way. Too bad for the animators that the asteroid belt is between Mars and Jupiter and not Earth on the moon. So this random media shower just seems to have come out of nowhere. And this is where we learn that Luthor, it never really expected the nations of Earth to surrender. You won't get away with this, Luthor! The nations of the Earth will never surrender to you! I never expected them to. My threat is merely part of a super plan to eliminate the Man of Steel. You two have served my purpose well. But now I have no further need of you. Let him have it! He's gonna fire that laser beam at us! I'm sorry I got you into this, Jimmy. Goodbye forever, my charming young friends. And his attack was all of a ploy to kill Superman, which is really the only thing he cares about. Luthor will do anything in his power to make sure Superman ends up dead. And it's nice to see that single-mindedness in this version of Lex Luthor. No, he really doesn't want to rule the world. All he wants is Superman dead, which is a common, which is a very common character motivation for Lex Luthor. For those of you who know the Silver Age story, as it was written about eight or nine years before this episode was produced, and I really would have loved to have seen them cover that in a Filmation episode, but I don't believe it happens, is that Lex Luthor and Superboy were friends in Smallville, and I believe Luthor was trying to help Superboy overcome Kryptonite, and there was a fire in his lab, Superboy blew it out, the chemicals fell on his head, out came Luther's hair, and there you have lifelong enemies. I am simplifying the story a great deal, but in essence, Su- Luthor blamed Superboy for the loss of his hair, and we're kind of off to, 
villainy from there. So part one ends with Superman fighting the meteor shower on his way to Lois and Jimmy. And he's still flying toward the moon as part two begins. And he eventually stands himself in front of the laser and it bounces off of him. And he turns the wall of a crater into lava. Now, I have fewer complaints about season three animation. And I must say, as we go into this episode, despite Bud Collier's age, he don't, I mean, he'd only die a few short years after these cartoons were completed. He's... If if you listen to the radio show 20 years earlier and now and compare it, the voice is a little bit, you can tell his voice is older, but he can still pull off the Superman vocals. Definitely no complaints about the voice work in this show. I could complain about how the moon doesn't really look like the moon. Its surface is brown and rocky, but I believe this episode was probably produced before men went to the moon. So I wonder what the animators really knew about how the moon looked. Not that this show has ever really striven for scientific accuracy. So... Luthor takes off in his rocket, and Superman leaves Lois and Jimmy on the moon to chase Luthor. For all the complaints about Man of Steel and how few lives Superman saved during the final battle, he's leaving two innocents on the moon while he gallivants after Luthor. On the moon. You know, where a simple tear in their clothes can suffocate them. So yes, as far back as 1969, Superman left the innocent people in danger to capture the bad guy. And uh, this is where Brainiac apparently enters the story, as Luthor and Blinky intercept the ship and get aboard, and now we're going to have a team-up. Imagine if we had to have the story wrapped up by now, you know, wouldn't we get all this fun stuff? Now we get an appearance by Dr. Hecla, who has absolutely no use for Luthor. Apparently Luthor has been rejected from his uh, plan to repopulate the planet Mega. So, how evil must you be if even Dr. Hecla doesn't want you on his barren and lifeless planet? Although, while I enjoy seeing Brainiac on the show, I still don't enjoy his subservient nature to Dr. Hecla. I much prefer Brainiac as more of a master villain. So apparently as he was flying, Superman didn't notice Brainiac's ship as he just found the rocket that Luthor and Beanie left. Blinky left in, kind of just orbiting nothing. So meanwhile, Lois and Jimmy uh, feel some shaking on the moon and they're in danger. You know, maybe if he took them back to Earth, he wouldn't be in danger. Just saying. Superman, how much time would it really have taken you to fly them back to Earth and leave them somewhere civilized? I guess more time than you could spare in this episode. So Brainiac does his usual bits and shrinks the rocket. Presumably with Superman in it, while Lois and Jimmy are caught in the moonquake. And uh, all of a sudden, Lois is getting uh, hit by oxygen. Although we don't actually see what happened to her, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess she got hit by a rock in this landslide. Somehow, Jimmy is perfectly fine, but Lois is not. So, we're meant to believe that Luthor's rocket and Superman are in the shrunken ship and are in the bottle. And that's when Luthor and Brainiac gleefully pump the bottle full of kryptonite. And now Luthor is so sure Superman is in the rocket that he'll eat the flying saucer. And I love the moment where Superman comes up through the floor and tells Luthor to start eating. You know, that's a nice bit of misdirection here. That's the end of the Man of Steel. If he is in there, Brainiac, if Superman isn't in there, I'll eat this flying saucer of yours. Start eating, Luthor. It's him! You know, previous episodes wouldn't even have attempted this. We're meant to believe that Superman is still in the rocket until that moment where he burst through the floor. But as an experienced viewer, I knew Superman was out of the rocket as soon as the uh, little bottle got pumped full of kryptonite. There was no way that Superman was going to just kind of let himself be destroyed. He would have found another way to get out of that situation. So even if I figured out that Superman wasn't in the rocket, it didn't hamper my enjoyment of these two episodes, and, I lo- and I'm and i looking forward to more two-parters as we continue. But, you know, Brainiac is still no threat to Superman. He's taken out with one punch, but not before he shrinks Luthor and, ma- and Beanie. And although I do love hearing Luthor begging Superman not to step on him. So 
Can you imagine that? After all the trials and tribulations, all the things they've gone to, Luthor meets his end because he's shrunk down to nothing and Superman accidentally steps on him with his foot. That would amuse me. It may not amuse Jimmy, but I would definitely be happy about it. Then, meanwhile, on the moon, Lois was caught in the quake and Superman saves her. And Lois, instead of thanking Superman, complains about how it's about time he got there. Again, maybe if he took care of them earlier. You know, just saying, you know. This scene with Luthor saying it, with Lois saying that it's about time Superman got there kind of reminded me of Superman the movie when, after it's all over, Lois kind of implies that it's about time Superman showed up. Then there's an interesting scene of Lois and Jimmy holding the mini Luthor and Beanie. Lois mentions how cute they are, so that's kind of creepy as she holds the, the shrunken people who are seemingly not moving. We know they're not dead because we're going to be seeing Luthor in the next story. Now for the ending. Good thing you two reported to work today. When Clark told me you took off by yourselves, I suspected you might be doing a story for another publication. One thing I don't allow is for any of my reporters to do any moonlighting. <laughs> What's so funny? Oh, Clark, you wouldn't understand. Stories are longer. The animation is slightly better. But the bad puns remain. So, I liked that episode, and it was nice to see what the show's writers could do with a double-length episode. It gives opportunity for some better storytelling now that the story has a little room to breathe, and it doesn't have to be resolved in six minutes. So, like I mentioned before, I'm really looking forward to the rest of Season 3. But, for now, forget me not Superdog. And this was written by Oscar Bensall. In space, Superboy and Crypto are hit by a kryptonite meteor. Superboy takes an unconscious Crypto home. When Crypto wakes up, he has amnesia and goes off to a carnival. Superboy stops the mischief being caused by Crypto and follows Crypto to where a scientist and his kid are being threatened by a thug. The thug causes a device made by the scientist to explode. Containing the explosion causes Crypto to recover his lost memory. Alright, so we're going to get a little bit of an asteroid and we're going to get some amnesia. So this is basically panic in the sky goes to the dogs. So we're going to start with uh, Superboy and Crypto kind of fly out to stop that asteroid from hitting Earth. And while they are fighting one meteor, they are hit with a kryptonite meteor and they very slowly hang in space, surrounded by a green glow, and then slowly fall toward the Earth. Now, as you heard from the uh, synopsis, Crypto gets amnesia. So this is our first uh, adaptation of Panic in the Sky from The Adventures of Superman. There'll be at least two more, both of which will be in live action. There is one in, I believe, Season 3, the Superboy episode Superboy Lost, which is a much looser interpretation of that story. And then the second time, it'll be the episode all shook up in Season 1 of Lois and Clark. So, Crypto and Superboy land without making as much of a crater in the grass. Now, Superboy has a bit of a headache, but Crypto is still unconscious, and this might be one of the few times we see Crypto in the Kent home as Superboy takes Crypto home. So, Clark goes to school, leaving Crypto at home, and Crypto wakes up. He doesn't know Jonathan and Martha, and the quote-unquote doctors can't diagnose him with amnesia. My goodness. Why is he acting so strangely? I don't know. Crypto, where are you going? He doesn't seem to recognize us. No. He acts as if he doesn't remember. And then he flies away. So we've never seen what he does when he's not the super dog, so... I'm not sure he spends a lot of time with the Kents. So Crypto goes to the carnival, as you're probably like me, you're sick of the carnival on this show by now, and he wreaks a ton of havoc. And of course, while we're picking on the carnival, we've got an incident of Crypto gone wild somewhere else. Superboy chastises his dog, who creates more havoc. Apparently Crypto is not very nice when he doesn't remember anything. So Crypto finds this scientist being told by the guy wanting to steal from him. But despite not remembering, Crypto still acts heroically. He disarms the man with the gun and saves the people. But the son wants to keep Crypto, but Superboy shows up and says, No, kid, that's my dog. You can't have him. Well, he doesn't say it in quite as few words, but that was the gist when Superboy landed behind the dog. Gee, Dad, 
Do you think I could keep him? <laughs> well, son, I don't know. Superboy! I'm sorry. I can't let you have him. Yeah, but... Uh, but why? This is my dog, Crypto, and he... He's not well. But, Superboy... I'll have to take him far away. Maybe even to another world. Oh, no. Don't let him, Dad. And while Superboy doesn't say what's wrong with Crypto, he does tell the boy that Crypto isn't well and he has to take him away. Possibly to another world. That is one extreme solution right there. Superboy's best friend is so out of control that he has to be sent off-planet? That is just crazy. And where would they send him? Nobody even thought that far ahead. So meanwhile, our criminal gets spiteful and destroys whatever this guy's invention was and the explosion creates a chain reaction. Superboy stops the explosion of uranium ore and Crypto seems to react as if the explosion restored him. And he follows Superboy out of the black hole and attacks the criminal. So okay, his memory comes back just as easily as it disappeared. The concussive force of whatever happened on the plane took away his memory. And another funny note, when they come out of the hole, the destroyed invention is put together again. If you remember, the invention had uh, exploded, and now when they come out of the hole, it's fine. So for our ending, Crypto and Superboy find the white puppy for the child to take home. He may not be a super pup, but he's real cute. <laughs> all right, Crypto, all right. You're cute, too. So that was a good episode. It's hard seeing Superboy's anguish over something that happened to Crypto, and it's a nice seeing the dog, even while he got into trouble, as most dogs do when they quote-unquote get loose, he was still heroic even when he didn't remember, as his instincts told him to save the boy and his father. So, a couple great episodes so far, and right now I'm going to take another break, I'm going to play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with Can a Luthor Change His Spots? And Superboy Meets Mighty Lad. Hang around, folks. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity Crisis. Lone Wolf and Cub. Hergé's Tintin. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo. And this Ultra- of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. 
All right, welcome back, folks. The original broadcast date for these next two episodes was September 21st, 1968. And our Superman episode is, Can a Luthor Change His Spots? And this was written by DC Comics writer Bob Haney. And for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Jimmy tells Clark that he saw Luthor in the Daily Planet. Mr. Kent, would you believe I just saw Lex Luthor slinking around this building? Lex Luthor? You must be mistaken, Jimmy. Uh-uh, I'd know that hairless skull even in a bowling ball factory. Come on, see for yourself. Look, there he is. You're right, Jimmy. But this is terrible. Who knows what that creep is up to in there? Jimmy, go fetch Perry White. Okay, Mr. Kent. Better check this out with my x-ray vision. Great galaxy, it's Perry White in that contraption. Superman finds Luthor using a device on Perry. What's going on here? Mr. White's enjoying my new invigorator health chair. That's right. What did you think? But Luthor is a criminal. Not anymore. Superman? Mr. White? Where's Mr. Kent? He uh, had to leave, Jimmy. Jimmy, I want you to meet the Daily Planet's new science editor. What? Yes, sir. Working out of an experimental laboratory right here. Well, you gotta be kidding, Mr. White. What Luthor's the worst enemy Superman ever had. Forget it. From now on, he's using his scientific genius for the good of humanity. Jimmy next checks in Luthor's new lab at the Daily Planet building and sets off a lightning machine, which Luthor claims was a security device for the building. Jimmy spots Luthor apparently using a device to rob a bank vault. Beautiful. It's working perfectly. With that gadget, Luthor can pillage any bank in Metropolis. Caught you red-handed, you rat! Huh? You young imbecile. You've just locked Perry White and the police chief in that vault. But, but I thought you... I was just demonstrating my remote phase transducer for Mr. White. And now, I can't release them. They'll suffocate in minutes. Oh my gosh. We need Superman. But it is only a demonstration, and Superman must rescue Perry, now trapped in the vault, after saving Lois, who was in a sub trapped in a maelstrom. Finally, Jimmy finds Luthor sabotaging the presses while readying devices that will launch the Daily Planet building into orbit. Jimmy must escape being bundled and rescue Superman when Luthor sprays kryptonite ink all over him. Alright, so in two straight weeks, our second Luthor episode. And this one starts with Jimmy reporting into Clark Kent that he sees Lex Luthor wandering around the Daily Planet building. Why would Lex Luthor be wandering around the Daily Planet building unless he was up to no good? At least that's the uh, foremost thought on Jimmy's mind. So Clark Kent sees Lex Luthor too, and uh, he's got Perry hooked up to some kind of contraption, and we get another awesome shirt rip. I am very pleased with these shirt rips going forward in Season 3. So here's where we learn that Luthor is apparently the new science editor, and apparently he's been reformed. You know, from my experience as working in a newspaper, the science editor wouldn't exactly be working in a lab at the office. A science editor would be covering science news, not actually performing it. And as Perry is announcing this, the goofy grins on both he and Luthor's face is absolutely priceless. So, Jimmy is untrusting of Luthor, but Clark is giving him the benefit of the doubt. I mentioned before that I would have loved to have seen the show address Luthor's relationship with Superboy, but... It doesn't. So, uh, Jimmy will show up in Luthor's lab again and set off Luthor's lightning conditioner. And now we've got another great shot of Superman posing on the outside of Luthor's lab as the lightning bounces off of him. And apparently while uh, Superman is posing and uh, letting the lightning bounce off of him, Jimmy is also getting electrocuted. Actually, he's getting, ele he's getting an electric shock. 
To say one is electrocuted means that they were killed by it. Jimmy was not. So Superman throws the lightning rod into a mountain like a javelin and kind of goes back to being Clark Kent. You know, I'm noticing three minutes into this episode and we've already seen Clark change into Superman and back twice. Usually in the previous seasons, when Clark turned into Superman at the beginning of the episode, he kind of just stayed Superman. None of this back and forth that we're going to be seeing in this episode. So Perry kind of yells at Jimmy about Luthor and uh, Jimmy wishes Lois was still around for some inexplicable reason other than the need to mention Lois Lane. Hey Ed Olsen, your suspicious meddling almost set off a catastrophe. Why can't you be like Clark? He's willing to see Luthor's going straight. Now get back to work. I wish Miss Lane were here. I'll bet she'd feel the same way I do. Perry is clearly taken by Luthor, taken in by Luthor's scheme. Jimmy has enough bad experience with Luthor to be distrustful, yet Superman, or Clark for that matter, who has had more trouble with Luthor than anybody, is still giving him the benefit of the doubt. Superman likes to believe the best in people, and right here, Superman is trying to believe the best in Luthor even though I'm sure his brain must be screaming that Luthor is up to something. So Jimmy's suspicions are eventually going to be founded when Luthor is talking to Kinky about an acid test. At least we think so. Yes, Lex Luthor's henchman in this episode's name is Kinky. I always thought it was Blinky. Now I feel the need to go back to previous episodes and see whether or not it was Blinky or Kinky. You know, even Blinky, which is a horrible henchman name, has got to be better than Kinky. Although I could believe Bob Haney, who is known for writing weird stuff, would name Lex Luthor's henchman that. I'm kind of moving on from that. The less said about that, the better. So apparently Luthor's lab also has a secret elevator. And so far we've had two references to Lois. And we hear that Lois is locked in a submarine underneath a polar ice cap. So she's underneath Superman. And we get an interesting shot of some kind of machine. It looks like it has the submarine trapped. And all of the editing and whatnot is kind of making you believe that Luthor might actually be behind this. Because the next thing we see is him at a bank vault with some kind of device. What normally happens when Lex Luthor is at a bank vault with some kind of device? That usually means he's trying to rob the bank or something. So you're led to believe that Luthor wants to rob this bank. We had some nice misdirection in the previous episode with the Superman and the shrunken rocket ship, and we're getting some misdirection here. You know, the show is making us think one thing, and it's going to reveal to be something else shortly after. So, you know, it's nice that the show is kind of... You kind of have to think along this episode, these two episodes a little bit. It's not just going to roll the this, this story out for you. And I like that. So, in his suspicion, uh, Luthor is tackled by Jimmy, and this ends up locking Perry and the police commissioner in the lab. It, Luthor was demonstrating his newest invention, and now they're locked in the, in the vault and have minutes to live, because the air is going to uh, get sucked out. So, and this is the problem of acting on your suspicions without proof. Things like this happen, and people could end up suffocating. And that's kind of where part one ends. Part two begins with an attempted rescue of Perry and the police chief. And at the same time, a welder with a blowtorch is trying to open up the vault. Superman is in the water, kind of dancing with the whirlpools a little bit. At least that's what it looks like. He's surrounded by whirlpools, waving his arms. I'm not exactly sure what he's doing. It looks like he's dancing. You know, ordinarily, rough water wouldn't be a problem for Superman, but apparently uh, it's causing him a little bit of difficulty here. And then, in some inexplicable fashion, he stops the maelstrom by throwing a rock out of the water. Okay, I'm going to go with it. Maybe I missed something, I don't know. So meanwhile, while all of this is going on, Perry time is ticking on Perry and the, and the police chief. When Superman tells Lois about them, she, after he obviously he rescues her from the submarine, she demands to be taken along, and now Superman has to waste precious time while people are suffocating to drop Lois off at the Daily Planet building. Last episode, he left him on the moon. This episode, he's wasting time playing Taxi Flyer. 
<sighs> so, uh, Superman drops Lois off at the Daily Planet building when Bear Beanie comes in, being hysterical as only Beanie the copy boy can be. Miss Wayne! Superman! Haven't you heard? Harry White's locked in the Metropolis Bank Vault! He'll suffocate in seconds! So that's what Jimmy wanted me for. Out and away! And interestingly enough, when he leaves through the window, Superman says, out and away. I believe that's one of the first times I recall Superman saying something other than up, up and away, or just away. And I guess being that he's on a high level of, of the Daily Planet building in order to fly out, he doesn't necessarily need to go up. He just needs to go out. So, but we, we all know that Lex Luthor can't really change his spots. And so after the rescue of Perry and uh, the police commissioner at the bank and a, a little bit more yelling at Jimmy from Perry for Perry kind of convinces Jimmy to stop trying to prove Luthor is a criminal. And it's a good thing because he almost uh, got Perry killed here. We realize that Lex Luthor really can't change his spots. Everything's set, Luthor. The escape saucer's ready to go. Ah, excellent, Kinky. My little surprises are where no one will ever find them. Now for Operation Orbit. And he mentions something named Operation Orbit to Kinky and the surprise to go along with it. So now Jimmy is suspicious of the water coolers, which apparently have come from Luthor. And he finds that Luthor is jamming the press with a large metal pole, and he, Jimmy tries to stop Luthor, and Luthor does what Luthor would do, and he pushes Jimmy onto the press. And he's stuck on the conveyor belt, seemingly unconscious. So, Superman shows up, walks right into a trap, and is covered with kryptonite ink. Good job, Superman. Not using the old gray matter this episode, are we? Luthor, you are still a criminal. I was sure you would take the bait, Superman. So I prepared this little reception for you. Luthor, you dirty creep! He'll weep. Must be. Of course. That ink is mixed with kryptonite. Perfect. Now let's go, Kinky! Superman's being carried into the presses. In his weakened state, even he could be hurt. So now Perry shows up, and Luthor's about to demonstrate a new gadget. And apparently the water coolers are going to take the Daily Planet into space. Because where else would you take a building? You wouldn't take it to the movies, that's for sure. So Jimmy does his best to save Superman, and fortunately there's some ink remover nearby. You know, it's amazing what's laying around when all you have to do is draw out what you need. <laughs> Jimmy kind of paints the ink remover onto Superman, restoring the Man of Steel's powers, as evidenced by the shot of Superman breaking into the lab. And now, I haven't been counting, but this I believe the third time I've seen the same shot of Superman breaking down the door to Luthor's lab. Either those doors must be getting expensive really quickly. I mean, those those steel doors don't look cheap, and they're getting repaired very quickly. Of course, it's just filmation you reusing stock footage, but the animation may be better, but filmation cheapness is still a staple. So Superman breaks Luthor's gadget as the show shows us the boiling water coolers, indicating that the water coolers that Jimmy was so concerned about earlier in the episode are the culprits to what's going on here. Now, it's interesting that the teleporters are lifting the building, but they seem more like engines. I mean, you would think teleporters would just kind of make the building disappear and reappear someone else. That's the definition of teleporting. What's going on here with the Daily Planet building is not teleporting. It's taking off. So maybe a different name for the little engines here would have been in order. So now, uh, after finding all the water coolers and destroying all the quote-unquote teleporters, Superman has to get the building down to Earth. I guess just letting it drop would do too much damage. And of course, Luthor and Kinky are stood right in the foundation of the building and were caught by Superman, and they didn't even try to get away. I guess they know physically running from him is a bad idea. Yes, but you were right all along. Luthor was a snake in the grass. By the way, where were you, Clark? I, uh... Got locked in a storeroom, Perry. 
the door was jammed when the building went into orbit and, well, you know. Well, we know. Perry doesn't. But we get the nice George Reeves wink when Clark says, you know. And it's kind of indicated that we know what happens to Clark when he goes in the storeroom. So I love the continuous nods to the George Reeves series. They're subtle and not as over the top as some of uh, some of the homages you see today. So I like that one too. It was nice to see an actual DC Comics writer tackle one of these episodes. Or two of these episodes for that matter. One story over the course of two episodes. And in this episode and the one I covered in the first segment, two straight Luthor stories. That's a lot. So let's move on to Superboy Meets Mighty Lad. This is written by Oscar Bensall. Superboy encounters another boy who apparently has similar superpowers and starts up staging Superboy. Mighty Lad claims to also be from Krypton, but Krypto is suspicious. Hey, who are you? Where are you from? I am Mighty Lad from the planet Krypton. Krypton? But how did you get here? The same way you did, Superboy. In a rocket. Launched just before Krypton exploded. Strange. How come we haven't met before? Well, uh, my rocket got trapped in Earth's orbit. I stayed alive in suspended animation till the rocket finally broke out of orbit and landed. So now, you've got some competition, Superboy. Forget the competition. I welcome your help. See you around. Come on, Crypto. That's no attitude to take. Maybe this mighty lad is a bit boastful, but what's wrong with having a super helper, huh? Let's go, Crypto! Turns out that mighty lad is an alien, but from another planet. And his superpowers and the disasters he responded to were caused by the gadgetry. Superboy! Okay, mighty lad, what's your game? What is that machine for? I, uh, uh, well, uh, it's none of your business, Superboy! Okay, then I'll just take this to someone who can explain it. No! Alright, so this episode starts with a cloud that turns black and starts spitting fire out. And when Clark can't see it, we get a great shirt rip. Um, like I said, we're getting great shirt rips this season, and I guess I'm going to continue to mention that as we go through. So Crypto and Superboy are fighting the flame, but they're not really accomplishing anything, just kind of a holding action. So then we get another character who shows up, and he's dressed in an outfit remarkably like Superboy's, except the blue areas are purple, the cape and the boots are yellow, and the trunks are black, as is the chest album emblem and when you get a better look at the chest later in the episode you'll see that it's an m m is for mighty lad and this is mighty lad and he basically puts out the cloud and mighty lad claims to be from krypton and he's trying to make up a story but if you watch krypto's character closely during this episode you can see how he's sniffing at him and both he and i are suspicious one thing you want to know about suspicion always trust the dog and i wonder if you viewers back then were especially young viewers were sophisticated enough to recognize that the dog was suspicious of Mighty Lad right off the bat. And Mighty Lad is boastful, so there's plenty to be suspicious about. Let's just say that. Superboy is either trying to see the best in him, or he's kind of taken by Mighty Lad's act. I didn't trust Mighty Lad from the moment I met him in this episode. Another disaster takes place, and here is Mighty Lad doing the job far better than Superboy and Crypto ever could. Fun note here is that when Superboy and Crypto descend toward the water, Superboy's S is reversed. I never quite understand how these things happen on animation, but they do here. Maybe somebody who's familiar with how, you know, making cartoons or whatnot actually works can fill me in on how such a thing happens. I mean, I'm pretty sure the uh, animators didn't draw the S backwards. It's hard enough to draw forward, at least for me. So Superboy thanks Mighty Lad, and he's off. Crypto is still suspicious, you know, and again, the dog. Dogs sense these things, but Superboy is not. 
So now there's a missile going into space, and the launch goes horribly wrong. Superboy and Crypto answer the call, as does Mighty Lad, who loudly announces himself and saves the rocket ship. And this is when Superboy finds out that somebody tampered with the rocket by damaging the wires, and we find Mighty Lad working in a cave with this machine. And we find out that this machine is what caused the disasters. And Mighty Lad is defensive, and they fight over the machine, causing it to explode. And when it explodes, it sends out a beam, and then that creates some lava. And Mighty Lad is scared because he doesn't have his powers. More on that in a minute. But Superboy takes him out of the cave, and then we find out that while he did come to Earth in a spaceship, he did not come from Krypton. He came from somewhere else. It doesn't actually. Episode never actually reveals that information. But he used technology to give him powers of Superboy and to create the disasters. So very irresponsible, and he's trying to. They never really establish what he's trying to do. That if he's trying to discredit Superboy or if he's just being an ass. Judging by the way this episode ends, I think it's more toward just Mighty Lad came to Earth to be an ass. Now, Mighty Lad, tell me how you pulled off that hoax. I came in that spaceship from another world, where our science is very advanced. With special equipment, I was able to create all those emergencies. What about your superpowers? Special gadgets, hidden under my costume, and powered by that generator in the cave. And when that was destroyed, you lost all your powers. Yes, and I learned a good lesson. There's only one Superboy, and nobody should try to imitate him. I learned a lesson too, Crypto. There's only one super dog, and I should never doubt him. Let's go home. <laughs> So, he's learned his lesson that there's only one Superboy, and he leaves. This was kind of a pointless episode, but Superboy does learn that he should trust Crypto's instincts, and he's probably going to trust his dog further in the future, at least I hope. So, that's kind of that. For a change, the Superman stories were superior to the Superboy one. I don't know if Dave McElvenny will agree, but I think so. Next time, I'm going to cover the next two Superman stories, Team of Terror and Reign of Iron, and the next two Superboy episodes, King Superboy and Double Trouble, Double Doom. Until then, if you want to uh, send me your feedback, it's always welcome. You can send an email to manofscreen at gmail.com. You can also find uh, the show over on the Facebook group. Just uh, search Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And hey, if you don't mind, uh, why don't you give me a review on iTunes? That'll help other people find the show. So, till next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. 
Thank you for listening to the Nanoscreen Podcast.